Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers. Uh, no, this isn't about spicy cooking. It's about finding strength and resilience to recover after a stroke or any life-altering event. I'm Christine, your host and a stroke survivor. I lost most of my sense of taste after my stroke, except for hot pickled peppers, hence the name. Our mission is to help others let you know you're not alone. You have the courage to get through whatever life is throwing at you. Join us and join the conversation. Welcome to the podcast of Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers. Season 2, Episode 4, Different Strokes for Different Folks. You can join the conversation on YouTube and Facebook at Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers for our video version of the podcast. You can check out our website at sevenjarsofhotpickledpeppers.com or you can download our podcasts on iTunes or Podbean. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Seven Jars. The information and advice provided by Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers, Ken and Christine Jackson, the speakers and commentators on their podcasts, interviews, and references in the book are not a substitute for the advice and treatment plan provided by your own healthcare professional. Further, it's not intended to be an adjunct to any existing or proposed advice or treatment plan you may have currently been receiving from your healthcare professional. One of the most important things we've come to realize is that each individual and their family's journey through stroke or a major life event and its recovery is truly unique. The story and information provided by ourselves and our guests is solely intended to let you and your family know that one, you're not alone. Other people and families have gone through or are going through similar experiences. Two, there are resources available that you may not be aware of that may help you and your family through the stroke recovery process. And three, there may be other treatment options available. Again, please consult your healthcare professional regarding your treatment plan and do not follow the treatment plan that we have discussed in the information that we've provided as it is solely intended and directed for Christine and her continuing care. Thank you. Now it's time for Quote of the Cast. Knowledge will bring you the opportunity to make a difference. Claire Fagan As I've mentioned in previous episodes, not only do I work in the steel mill, I'm also a first aid instructor. I teach about different medical emergencies, of course, including stroke. We talked about stroke, the general signs and symptoms, and the response required by first aiders. I went into as much detail as was necessary to accomplish the goal of helping the person experiencing a suspected stroke. 
Funny how getting up close and personal with stroke has changed my thoughts and expanded my knowledge. Stroke is no longer something I just teach in first aid. Stroke is no longer just a set of steps to follow to ensure someone gets the appropriate care and treatment. And stroke is no longer a single entity, one word that encompasses one medical emergency, one page in the first aid manual. No, having a stroke myself opened the door and let out the multitude of unique aspects of not only my stroke, but each and every one. Stroke is such a little word for such a broad medical emergency. That is like the man with a million faces. With a common thread that sews each survivor with another, creating a beautiful tapestry. But what are the different types of strokes? Introducing today's guest. We'd like to welcome back to the show, Cami Duva. Cami has been a healthcare provider for over 35 years. She earned a Bachelor of Nursing from the University of Calgary and later completed a master's degree from the University of Toronto in the Acute Care Nurse Practitioner Program. She's been working as a nurse practitioner in Ontario for 15 years in various practice settings including an acute stroke unit at the Regional Stroke Centre. She's happy to share her knowledge with us. She's a regular listener and fan of our podcasts, and most importantly, a big fan and supporter of Christine, her sister. Welcome back, Cami. It's great to have you here with us again to share your expertise. And we're fortunate enough to have Cami right with us in our recording studio. Cami was our only call-in interview discussing vestibular disturbances in Season 1, Episode 6. Now she's back in person to explain different types of stroke. Welcome, Cami. Thank you for having me. <laughs> So first, what are the most common or major types of strokes that affect people? Well, I know you've been sharing a lot of information about strokes, and you've had some excellent previous podcast guests who've explained a little bit about stroke, but I know you want to dedicate one episode just to really hone down the definition of stroke and the different subtypes within that definition. For sure. So the general definition, a stroke happens when blood stops flowing to any part of the brain, and that causes damage to brain cells. Okay. When a part of the brain doesn't receive its regular flow of blood, which carries nutrients and oxygen, brain cells die, causing a loss of brain function. The effects of stroke depend on the part of the brain that was affected and the extent of the damage done. Okay. So stroke is generally classified into two major types, ischemic and hemorrhagic. Okay. I'll explain these a little more. Okay. But there's also a pre-stroke syndrome that can be considered a third classification of stroke, 
and that's called a transient ischemic attack, or it's called a TIA. Right, yes. So the first type that we'll talk about is an ischemic stroke. Ischemic strokes are caused when there's not enough blood supply to give adequate amounts of oxygen and nutrients to a part of the brain. Okay. Ischemic strokes can be caused by a blockage in a blood vessel supplying a part of the brain. The blockage can be caused by a clot, by a severe narrowing of an artery, or by a whole body low blood supply. Oh. Ischemic strokes are the most common type of stroke and account for about 80-85% of all strokes. Wow, that's a big amount. Mm-hmm. So the second type of stroke is a hemorrhagic stroke. Hemorrhagic strokes occur when a blood vessel in the brain ruptures, causing bleeding in or around the brain. Okay. The leaking blood and the shortage of blood supply beyond the leak causes mm-hmm. damage to the brain. Hemorrhagic strokes are less common than ischemic strokes and account for roughly 15, 20% of all strokes. Okay. But they are responsible for about 40% of all stroke deaths. Really? Within the subcategory of hemorrhagic strokes, there's two further types. Okay. You can have an intracerebral hemorrhage, Mm -hmm. which means bleeding within the brain, Or you can have a subarachnoid hemorrhage, which is bleeding just outside the brain and in the cerebral spinal fluid. Oh, okay. So there's several reasons why a blood vessel can rupture, including an aneurysm, malformed blood vessels, or weakened arteries. Okay. High blood pressure and aging can weaken arteries over time, and this is a a major cause of hemorrhagic stroke. Okay. So I was always wondering the difference between aneurysm. So that is within the stroke category. So it's one of the reasons that a blood vessel can rupture. Okay. And a ruptured vessel causes bleeding in right. or around the brain, resulting in damaged brain cells, hence stroke. Okay. Okay. And then... Um, so the third classification... Sorry. <laughs> ...is the transient ischemic attack, mm-hmm. or TIA... So by definition, it's not a true stroke. The symptoms are transient. So that means that they are short-lived and they resolve completely. TIA symptoms usually last less than an hour or they might only last a few minutes. So a TIA is a pre-ischemic stroke event where an artery is briefly blocked and blood supply is temporarily interrupted. A TIA can be caused by a small clot or an unstable narrowing of an artery. It's sometimes called a mini stroke or a warning stroke. Right. A TIA is a forewarning that a more serious stroke could happen soon. For this reason, TIAs are also considered a medical emergency. So Uh like all strokes, if you're experiencing symptoms of TIA, you should seek urgent medical attention. So I know every person's stroke is unique, but are there variations within each of the major types that healthcare professionals look for when treating different types of stroke? If an individual is suspected of experiencing a stroke, the first thing the medical team needs to determine is the type of stroke. Right. Is it ischemic or is it hemorrhagic? 
Mm-hmm. And also, they need to know the time of symptom onset. Oh, okay. Knowing the type of stroke will assist the medical team in developing an appropriate treatment plan. So after a brief clinical exam and a neurological exam, brain imaging is done to help determine if the stroke is ischemic or hemorrhagic. Oh, okay. So hemorrhagic stroke shows up very easily on a CT scan. Mm-hmm. Ischemic strokes may not. Oh, okay. Depending if it's ischemic or hemorrhagic, the treatment mm-hmm. approaches are very different. Oh, okay. So if it's an ischemic stroke, the primary goal is to reduce the amount of damage from ischemia right. or lack of blood supply. Mm-hmm. In ischemic strokes, the area of stroke is surrounded by dysfunctional brain tissue that may progress to permanent damage from ischemia or it can recover. Right. This is the basis for the tagline, time is brain. Mm, If the individual meets the criteria for urgent treatments, they may benefit from clot-busting medications such as TPA or from clot retrieval procedures such as endovascular thrombectomies. Okay. Both of these treatments have been found to limit the degree of irreversible brain tissue loss, but they have strict guidelines Mm -hmm. because they also carry risk, which increases as time from symptom onset progresses. Okay. So some individuals may not be candidates for these procedures due to health factors and or if time of stroke onset is unclear Mm. or too long. Right. So TPA is ideally administered within the first three hours, though can be administered up to slightly longer periods, depending on the patient criteria and as deemed appropriate by the physician. Right. That's so not a very long time frame. No. The thrombectomies can be uh, done a little longer after. Mm-hmm. And again, only certain people meet the criteria for right. that procedure. So there's a lot of guidelines. So yeah, appropriately treating an ischemic stroke would take some time to diagnose as well. Well, the the times are getting faster because the urgency, the time is brain, Mm -hmm. is very important because the outcomes tend to be better when that blockage can be reversed quickly. Okay. So with a TIA, Mm -hmm. this is when the symptoms resolve completely. Okay. So they may feel they're having symptoms of stroke and very rightly call Mm -hmm. 911 or seek medical attention urgently, but their symptoms resolve. And typically, the brain scan at that time still looks normal. Oh, okay. So with TIAs, it's important to determine what's causing this transient blockage Mm -hmm. in order to treat it and minimize the chance of a full-blown ischemic stroke occurring. Okay. So diagnostic investigations are completed to try to find out what's causing this temporary or, some cases, intermittent blood flow interruption. So an example of a temporary blockage, it could be that there's an unstable plaque or narrowing in one of the large arteries leading to the brain, such as the large arteries along the neck called the carotid arteries. Oh, okay. And if this artery is temporarily or nearly occluded, it can give symptoms of stroke. Uh. Typically, this kind of blockage can be discovered 
on imaging okay. and then surgical options or angioplastic options can be discussed. Okay. So typically if when someone has a TIA, uh, medications are given mm -hmm. to help reduce blood clotting, manage blood pressure, lower cholesterol, right. while these investigations investigations are being completed to try to find the source oh, of the temporary okay. blockage. That makes sense and lessening the person's risk, I would imagine. Yes. Perfect. So with a hemorrhagic stroke, mm -hmm. if a person comes in with stroke symptoms and they have a CT scan done, blood on a CT scan is quite obvious to see. Okay. So again, as we spoke about, mm -hmm. a rupture of a weakened blood vessel is what causes a hemorrhagic stroke. Right. So the vessel can be weakened by aging, by high blood pressure, or it could be weakened by an abnormality in the blood vessel itself, right. such as an aneurysm, or there's other reasons a blood vessel may be weakened, such as it's called arterial venous malformations or AVMs, oh, okay. or even, like in your case, a cavernoma. Right, yeah. So the presence of a known bleeding disorder, such as hemophilia, right. or use of medications that slow down clotting, increase the risk of a hemorrhagic stroke, if, especially if a person already has a weakened blood uh, vessel. Okay. In some cases, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> illicit drugs such as cocaine or amphetamines are associated with increased risk of hemorrhagic stroke. Really? And again, usually in the context of a pre-existing weakened vessel. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like ischemic strokes, hemorrhagic strokes require immediate emergency care. Right. Of course, they're not going to receive clot busting <laughs> or blood thinning treatments. Right. The treatment for hemorrhagic stroke focuses on controlling the bleeding, if mm -hmm. possible, and reducing the pressure caused by the bleeding. Right. So medications can be used to re to reduce blood pressure or slow down the bleeding. Oh, okay. So if a person has a hemorrhagic stroke and they are on what we call blood thinning medications, right? Sometimes those medications can be given to reverse the oh. blood thinning qualities of that medication. Okay. To counteract them. If the rupture is small and produces only a small amount of bleeding and pressure, supportive care and monitoring may be all that's required. However, for more serious hemorrhagic strokes, surgery may be needed to repair the ruptured blood vessel and stop the bleeding. If the stroke is caused by an aneurysm or AVM, mm -hmm. surgery may be used to fix it. Oh, okay. This isn't always possible and it depends on the location. Right. In some severe hemorrhagic strokes, surgery may be required to relieve the increased pressure on the brain right. caused by the bleeding and by the brain swelling. Oh, okay. Now, you asked about the different types of stroke, and mm -hmm. we spoke broadly about right. the classifications. Mm -hmm. But stroke team healthcare professionals use much further in detailed classifications, I'm and sure. they can also be classified by their location, uh, and major blood supplies. Okay. But I think that's beyond the scope of this <laughs> talk. So right. I just wanted people to be aware that there are right. further classifications, and we're just speaking broadly mm -hmm. about the three types. Oh, great. 
Thank you. So um, not to go into too much detail, but I have heard of thrombotic and embolic. Am I saying that right? Yeah, you're saying embolic. So would you mind just touching on both of those terms? Sure. So thrombotic and embolic strokes, they are in the category of ischemic strokes. Okay. Actually, ischemic strokes are classified in three main subtypes based on their causes. So the three types are thrombotic, embolic, and systemic hypoperfusion. Wow, that's a mouthful. (laughs) Yeah, so I'll explain each of these in a bit more detail. Great. So thrombotic strokes are caused when there is a thrombosis resulting in a local obstruction on the inside of a part of one artery. Okay. So thrombosis is defined as a local coagulation or clotting Mm -hmm. of the blood in a part of the circulatory system. A thrombosis can form in arteries where there is a disease such as atherosclerosis Mm. or an injured artery such as a tear. This is also called a dissection. Or if there's another vessel abnormality. Mm. Atherosclerosis is the most common artery disease causing thrombotic strokes. With the fatty, waxy-like plaque buildup, Mm -hmm. which is associated with atherosclerosis, the inside of the artery narrows and the blood flow can be diminished. If the narrowed passage closes completely by a thrombosis, blood supply is stopped, resulting in an ischemic stroke. If it's only partly blocked or it blocks intermittently, Mm -hmm. this may cause the symptoms of a TIA. An embolic stroke happens when a particle of debris, also called an embolus, originating elsewhere in the blood circulation, travels in the bloodstream and then lodges itself in an artery, blocking the blood supply to a part of the brain. The embolus can originate from the heart or large vessels. As well, a piece of thrombosis in an artery can break off and become an embolus. Mm. Unlike a thrombotic stroke, multiple different brain areas can be affected. It all depends on which blood vessel route traveled and the number of particles traveling. Embolic strokes are divided into four categories. Those with a known cardiac or heart source, those with a possible cardiac or aortic source, and the aorta is the large vessel coming from the heart. Okay. Those with an arterial source, so artery to artery, and those with an unknown source. If an individual is suspected of having an embolic stroke, typically investigations such as echocardiograms, electrocardiograms are completed to rule in or rule out a cardiac or heart source. Treatments to help prevent further embolic strokes depend on the cause. Mm -hmm. For example, if an irregular heart rhythm, one of them very commonly uh, is identified, it's called atrial fibrillation. If that's identified as the culprit, anticoagulation or blood thinning medications may be recommended. Mm. The third cause of ischemic strokes is systemic hypoperfusion. So to break that down, systemic means that it's the entire blood system. Hypo is low and perfusion is the supply. So it means that your whole body has a low overall blood supply. 
This can affect the brain as well as other organs. This is usually caused by significant health event, such as a cardiac arrest, a pulmonary embolism, severe arrhythmias, or significant blood loss. Hypoperfusion stroke symptoms are typically diffuse, they're not focal, and they can affect both sides of the brain. Ah, okay. Wow. So are there other causes of stroke that are less common? For example, a tumor, because I know they were concerned about me having a tumor initially. Mm -hmm. So any event that causes a prolonged disruption to the brain tissue's blood supply Mm -hmm. can result in a stroke. So we just discussed the common causes of stroke, but strokes can also occur as a result of less common causes, such as blood disorders, blood clotting disorders. Mm. Blood and blood clotting disorders are an uncommon primary cause of a stroke, or a TIA. However, it should be considered when it's a young person presenting with a stroke, and there's no other clear cause. Mm -hmm. When there is no clear cause identified for the stroke, even with a full investigative diagnostic workup, the stroke is then called cryptogenic. Ah, and you had asked me about that. I so had. that is a cryptogenic <laughs> stroke when you don't know what caused it. Okay. Basically, it's a big word for saying, yeah. we don't know why this person had the stroke. <laughs> and yes, Christine, strokes can be caused by brain tumors. There are many different types and locations of brain tumors, and some types are more prone to bleeding than others. Mm. Brain tumors can have fragile blood vessels causing them to break, bleed, and result in a hemorrhagic stroke. Mm. However, a brain tumor could also cause an ischemic stroke by blocking blood supply. As a tumor grows, it could compress surrounding arteries Mm. and thus cuts off the blood supply, causing an ischemic stroke. So when I was having therapy during the first part of my recovery, I heard that infants or children can also have strokes. Yes, you're right, Christine. So stroke can happen at any point in a person's lifetime, from infancy to late old age. Mm -hmm. The reasons why stroke occurs in infants and children are varied and include things such as malformed blood vessels and or rare diseases. Strokes in infants and children are also categorized as ischemic and hemorrhagic. So common causes for ischemic stroke in children include heart disease, blood clotting disorders, irregular arteries, and other risk factors, such as if they require heart or brain surgery, if they have an autoimmune disease, or even if they have trauma to the brain or the neck. Causes of hemorrhagic strokes in children can include, again, malformed arteries and or something like a brain tumor. Some pediatric stroke cases have no clear cause. So Mm. these are called cryptogenic. Ah, I'm never going to forget that word. Yeah. (laughs) So I've also heard the term silent strokes. What does that mean? So this means that some people have had a stroke without even realizing it. These strokes are usually only identified on brain imaging. Really? They're called silent strokes because their symptoms are not easy to recognize or people don't remember them. They do, however, cause permanent damage to the brain. Really? So if an individual has had more than one silent stroke, they may have problems with their thinking and their memory. 
These silent strokes are not harmless and they can lead to more strokes with greater severity. Mm. Silent strokes are more common than you'd expect. Perhaps even more common than system, uh, symptomatic, sorry, oh, or known okay. strokes. Really? In several studies of middle-aged and older adults with no known history of stroke, brain imaging revealed evidence of strokes in 10 to up to 18% of the participants, depending on which study you read. Mm -hmm. And they often presented with more than just one area of stroke. Really? Mm -hmm. That is so interesting. So also, I know people have... uh, often ask me, did you have a headache? So could headaches or migraines be a symptom of a stroke or can they indicate it if you're having a stroke? So there is an association between migraine headaches and stroke. In women, the link between stroke and migraine, especially migraine with aura, which means that the person experiences a visual or sensory disturbance, is stronger than in men. So migraine with aura is common in younger women, and the risk of stroke in patients with migraine with aura is increased twofold. Really? So, and then women who have migraine, who also have other risk factors, such as smoking or using combined oral contraceptives, they have a further increased risk of ischemic stroke. Mm. Now, in regards to experiencing a headache during a stroke, Individuals with ischemic strokes usually don't have a headache with symptom onset. On the other hand, a subarachnoid hemorrhage, one of the hemorrhagic stroke types, Mm -hmm. is typically accompanied by a severe headache. So asking about headaches may help the stroke team diagnose the type of stroke a person is experiencing. Okay, very interesting, because yet myself because it wasn't the subarachnoid, I didn't have a headache. Uh, Are there different types of stroke depending on the age or condition of a person? For example, only an infant could have a certain type of stroke? Well, the cause of a stroke differs in different individuals. Mm. And yes, age and underlying health factors play a big role. For example, most thrombotic and embolic strokes related to atherosclerosis occur in older people. Individuals under the age of 40 rarely have severe atherosclerosis unless they also have significant risk factors such as diabetes, high blood pressure, smoking, high cholesterol, or if they have a strong family history. Mm -hmm. And I know in a previous podcast, you interviewed a young man who uh, had a heart disorder and required surgery and as a Mm -hmm. result had a stroke. Mm -hmm. So a person like him would be at higher risk for a cardiac embolic stroke after having that kind of surgery. So does stroke fit under the category of acquired brain injury? Well, that's a very good question. According to most brain injury associations, an acquired brain injury or ABI, Mm -hmm. is defined as damage to the brain that occurs after birth from a traumatic or non-traumatic event. ABI is not related to a congenital disorder, meaning something you're born with, or a degenerative disorder, 
such as Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, and the such. Okay. So according to the definition, there are two classifications of acquired brain injuries, traumatic and Mm -hmm. non-traumatic. So a traumatic brain injury is caused by something that comes from outside the body, such as a blow, a bump, or a jolt. It can result in a temporary injury or a more serious injury with long-term damage to brain cells. So these include brain injuries as a result of a car accident, a fall, sports injury, suffocation, shaken baby syndrome, Hmm. assault, a gunshot wound, a blast, etc. Exactly, yes. A non-traumatic acquired brain injury is caused by something that happens inside the body or a substance introduced into the body that damages brain tissue. This includes things such as ischemic and hemorrhagic strokes, seizure disorders, brain tumors, poisoning, substance abuse, opioid overdose, infections such as meningitis, encephalitis, or other less common causes, such as fluid on the brain, which is mm-hmm. called hydrocephalus, inflammation of the blood vessels called vasculitis, or even you can have a blood collection on the surface of the brain called a hematoma, which isn't a stroke, but oh. can cause a non-traumatic acquired brain injury as well. Wow. So that encompasses a lot of things, that acquired brain injury. Mm-hmm. Very broad. Well, thank you so much. So finally, no matter the type or the cause of a stroke, any last words for someone recovering from a stroke? Well, I think it's very important that if you've had a stroke, that you know and understand what type of stroke you had Mm -hmm. and why you had it. So the type of stroke and the cause. Knowing the kind of stroke you had and why you had it or the cause is the best way to know if you're on the most appropriate treatment and doing all the right things to reduce your risk of having another stroke. Knowing what part of the brain was affected is also valuable because it can assist you and your therapy team in developing the best rehabilitation treatment plan for optimal stroke recovery. You should also be aware that once you've had a stroke, you are at higher risk for having another stroke. So in addition to treatments provided by the your healthcare providers, you also have a role in reducing your risk of another stroke by maintaining healthy habits and managing risk factors that are modifiable. And those would include things like keeping an eye on your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your blood sugar levels, exercising, healthy diet. If you smoke, you should quit, and et cetera, et cetera. So as well, for some real last words yes, for anyone recovering from a stroke, and I think these words are more important, is try to maintain a positive outlook. Mm-hmm. And I've heard this from you and from some of your previous guests. Recovery is different for everybody, so don't compare yourself to others. Everybody's stroke is unique, and it occurs in a unique individual. So make sure that you celebrate your own big and small gains and keep moving forward. Unfortunately though, like many stroke survivors, you may feel tired and at times you might feel down in the dumps. Mm -hmm. If you are feeling low or frustrated, 
please reach out and talk to your healthcare provider, to your family, to your friends, and let people know about it. There are things that can help. In addition, be aware that there are other resources available to help you and your family, and most importantly, you are not alone. Listening to other stories, sharing your story, or joining in conversation can help. Those are wonderful words and so true. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your expertise, your words of hope to help everybody understand their own unique stroke or that of a loved one. It's amazing with so many things out there that uh, more of us aren't having strokes. So something's going right there. And knowledge is power. And understanding can help someone accept what has happened and provide inspiration for recovery. And as you said, giving yourself breaks for when days are difficult. Mm -hmm. Thank you again, Cammie. My pleasure. Thank you. know that you can follow us on Twitter at 7jars. We post daily with all the latest stroke research, innovation, and inspiration. Follow us. Now it's time for the joke of the week. Hey Ken, do you know why brain surgeons are so ambitious? Uh, no. Why? <laughs> they always want to get Ahead. Oh man, <laughs> these jokes are really giving me a headache. <laughs> <laughs>
the doctor was calling and I wasn't going back. It was a pain in my ass. My mom finally gave me her scariest ultimatum. Go to the hospital or I am coming there. (laughs) She came and I allowed my mother to drag my now 40-year-old butt to the doctor. So while my brain selfies were under review, why not go get lunch? I'll come back. The doctor called while getting food. I knew something was wrong, but I could just not stand the thought of pressing that pause button. We all have our weaknesses. Confinement and submissions are mine. Lessons learned. The doctor called um, my mom then, who happened to be my emergency contact. There was no way out now. He said I was indeed having multiple strokes caused by an aneurysm that had ruptured a moment before I fell. My brain was bleeding and I needed surgery. It was important I come in right now. I put him off. I could tell he was getting irritated. Finally, he just said it, blunt and to the point. You will die. Not you could die or you might die. You will die. It was his ass on the line having had me in his grasp and letting me walk out with a brain bleed. Still, he was the hero. The more anxious I felt, the deeper I slipped into unreason. I was prepared to fight with insanity. This isn't her. She's not herself, my hero interjects. Once I was in the hospital, the ideal solution would have been to just sedate me while they arranged for my air transportation. But knowing that I could be in surgery any time meant no medication, no food, no water, no Pepsi, no smoking. Apparently, I saw this as an infringement on my basic human rights. The pressure building in my brain impairing my judgment. I escaped into my own reality, then literally tried to escape. I then found myself secured to the bed with leather restraints, that my mind safely perceived as maxi pads. Though they were not actually made of absorbent cotton, they were incredibly easy to escape from using my teeth. A commotion ensued at the door with some beefy backups. The very soft-spoken nurse charged with calming duties was eventually able to get me back to my bed. She may or may not have been physically assaulted in the process. I can't be sure. I passed out or was knocked out. I can't be sure of that either. But when I woke up, I had new and improved maxi pads around my wrists and an earlier than expected flight to Winnipeg. None of what I remember from that point to the point of awakening after surgery is credible. Interesting hallucinations intermixed with real events. I just can't be sure. Brandy. Thank you for sharing your courageous and entertaining story. This was a side of stroke we don't often hear about, patients trying to escape treatment. You were clearly determined and apparently on powerful medication, but it sounds like you finally submitted to treatment and are now far on your way to recovery. We truly appreciate your submission. Be well. And now it's time for this episode's Stroke Link. I love our interviews. I always learn so much. Cammie is very knowledgeable about stroke. 
and able to explain it in a way that is understandable. Oh, I agree for sure. I love what we learn. There's something new all the time. On Google, for example, you can look for types of stroke and lots of different links come up. There's tons of information. Was it all reliable, though? That's the danger of looking things up on Google. Yeah, you do have to be careful on there, that's for sure. You know, I've looked at lots of different things, and, uh, you know, I've found that the best resources are the ones established by reputable sources. Like, uh, uh, for example, I like I prefer to look for stroke foundations, and you can find them uh, in Canada, United States, Australia, the UK. They all have very similar information. Well, that sounds good. So I guess if you want more information on types of stroke, just type in types of stroke. Holy, how many times can you say type, Christine? <laughs> Very funny, Ken. Into Google and make sure you open a link from a reliable source such as the Heart and Stroke Foundation. Don't forget FAST. It's an easy and it's the best way to help you remember the signs, symptoms, and what to do if you or a loved one may be having a stroke. FAST. Face, arm, speech, time. A stroke can bring on unusual symptoms like numbness, tingling, drooping, or paralysis on one side of your face or one arm and can affect your speech, slurring or jumbled. T for time. Don't delay. Get medical help immediately. If you suspect a stroke, you can call 911 in Canada for emergencies. Or if you have questions, call HealthLink in Canada at 1-866-408-5465 to talk to a healthcare professional. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, or if you have any questions, comments, jokes, or ideas for future topics, contact us at our website, 7jarsofhotpickledpeppers.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to hear more about Christine's journey, please check out the website, her book, is available for purchase. Thank you for joining us today. We know life can be tough, unfair, but you're stronger than you think, and you're not alone. Goodbye and good health. <laughs>